one of the things I do resent a lot about being compassionate towards animals through a religion from what conversations I've had with my friends is that they draw a line. So for example, if Hinduism says she should not consume beef, they will not consume beef, but at the same time they will consume chicken or, or eggs, you know, they still consume dairy. So I feel like it's more about what the religion tells you rather than trying to use your brain as well, along with using what the religion tells you and then using your own experiences and your intelligence to understand that there's apply that to how compassionate you are in your life. You know, that is where I stand when it comes to religionism and spirituality. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Plant-Based News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. Today, we're honoured to have an extraordinary guest, Anjali Harikumar, who brings a tapestry of rich experiences and profound insights into the vegan lifestyle and its many multifaceted impacts. Anjali, a dynamic content creator and a beacon in the plant-based community, shares her captivating journey from her roots in India to her life in France. Her story is a remarkable blend of cultural explorations, personal transformations, and a deep-seated love for culinary creativity. Anjali's initial foray into veganism, driven by her empathy for animals and a quest for ethical living, encountered challenges that many can relate to, navigating health, societal norms, and personal beliefs. This episode takes you through the ebbs and flows of Anjali's vegan journey, shedding light on the nuances of adopting a plant-based lifestyle especially in diverse cultural settings. Her experiences provide invaluable insight into the complexities of changing dietary habits, dealing with societal pressures and finding balance in health and ethics. Anjali also delves into her passion for veganizing traditional Indian recipes, showcasing how food can be a bridge between cultures, traditions and personal values. Her story is not just about food, it's about transformation, resilience and the power of making choices that align with one's values. So join us as we delve into an engaging conversation with Anjali Harikumar, where we explore the intersections of culture, cuisine and compassion. Whether you're a seasoned vegan, exploring plant-based eating, or simply love a good story of personal growth and cultural exploration, this episode is sure to highlight, inspire and captivate you. As always, if you like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like and share. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to the PBN podcast, Anjali. Great to sit down with you and hear a bit of your story. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you for having me here. It's such an honor to be here. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the interview podcast. Today, I'm going to be making a special Diwali gift box for under five pounds. It's good. Here's what I got from Lidl. So we're ready to make the batter now. Flour, corn flour goes in, baking powder, bicarbonate of soda. Let's give it a little tap. So yogurt goes in. Now we're going to add some soy milk and then you whisk until you have a thick but runny batter. The oil is ready for shallow frying. We're going to make swirly shapes. Jalebi is one of my favorite desserts and I wait for Diwali to eat a lot of them and I'm on such a sugar high. Now it's time to make the sugar syrup and then bring it up to a boil. Put them in the sugar syrup, flip them and take them out. Let's make some bark. This is the fun part. Some pistachios and your favorite ripe fruit and nuts. Time to pop it in the freezer. Let's chop the bark. Look how pretty. So this one's for my family, this one's for my friends, and this one's for me. Happy Diwali. Before we get started, as I always like to do, to go back in time and ask my guest this first question. How did you find out about the vegan and plant-based lifestyle? Where did that all begin for you? Growing up, I was a huge animal lover, and that's really how I started this. I I, I think that is what inspired me to be vegan. Um, Or the bad, I was always like helping out stray dogs in India. So I grew up in India. Growing up, you see a lot of stray dogs, a lot of stray cats, and, you know, you see people mistreating them. So I always felt really empathetic towards them. And I used to, you know, rescue stray dogs and try to get them adopted and these kind of things. I grew up and I went to university. And when I was in university, one of my vegetarian friends, so I used to eat meat and dairy and everything, not as frequent as, you know, Western people do, uh, because India you still have a majorly vegetarian uh, diet and you have meat from time to time. So And so when we used to go out, my vegetarian friend would ask me like, hey, you call yourself an animal lover. How would you justify eating animals or using animal products? And I think until then, I never thought about it like that. And I was and I got super defensive. I was like, "Uh, you know, it's not the same, you know, dogs and cats. You know, that's the whole thing that every vegan gets to hear on a daily basis. You know, it's not the same. Cats and dogs are different. You know, they're more intelligent. These animals are grown for a different purpose, blah, blah, blah. But it struck a chord with me. And so I then went back 
to my place and I started researching about it to try to prove him wrong. Uh, so I was trying to look for arguments to prove him wrong. In that process, I stumbled across, you know, Cowspiracy and all these documentaries and I started watching them. So I was like 20 or something, uh, 20 years old or something like that back then. I came across these uh, documentaries and I started reading about, about them and I was like, oh shit, it was such, a, it really opened my eyes and, and I was suddenly exposed to the horrific conditions that these animals are kept under and 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 that they're sometimes these cow, I mean these cows and pigs are like more intelligent than cats and dogs this was something that I did not even know and the dairy industry so you know dairy is very important in India and the dairy industry being so horrible and also like a huge part of animal cruelty and everything and I just went vegan overnight I went vegan overnight like cold turkey cold tofu as I like to say <laughs> 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 and that was bad because I did not cook. I used to not cook uh, much. I used to eat whatever was university canteen or, or, you know, when we used to go out with friends or whatever. And so going vegan with zero knowledge of nutrition is just the worst thing you could do. Basically, just, you know, the first thing I cooked was like rice and potatoes. And I would just put them in one pot with some turmeric and salt. And then I ate that. It was just carbs on carbs. It was just the worst thing you could do. And on top of that, if I didn't know what to cook, I would just eat Oreos. Or I used to look for what's the easiest vegan food available. So it's like instant ramen, Oreos, Coca-Cola, chips, you know, like crisps, potato crisps. And, and that was what I used to eat. So one year into this diet, I started losing hair. Um, I, I started getting gray hair and I was 20 back then so I like started getting gray hair and my health deteriorated so much I used to be constantly tired and I was in university so I had to study so it was it was just so bad and my mom saw this finally she intervened and she's like Anjali stop this nonsense you are not uh, going to be vegan because you went vegan that this started happening so stop being vegan now uh, because I mean I can understand she was a mother and she saw me like get so weak and, and sick and I and I got sick for one more month and I could not recover from it yeah I just didn't have the immunity for it so I stopped being vegan and she said the first thing she fed me was a lot of milk she was like you need calcium you need protein so I started drinking a lot of milk and then I stopped being vegan and immediately the first thing that happened to me was this huge sense of relief you know because suddenly I could go out with my friends uh suddenly I could eat out with my friends suddenly I could go to people's places and not ask what's in this what's in this it was very easy to I was very sad by the way to stop eating vegan it was also like so easy to just shut my brain off shut that part of my brain and then just live life normally well then four years in after that so you know after university I went to Europe for my uh, PhD. So in my first year of my PhD, I was eating everything in France. I was in France. I am still in France. And I started eating everything. You know, I started eating more meat and everything. And then in France is when I met my boyfriend. When pandemic hit and the, in the first lockdown, I think that's when I, I was watching a lot of movies and I watched this film Okja by the director Bong Joon-ho. And he's like, Incredible, he's so talented. We needed a miracle. And then we got one. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. And when I watched that movie Okja, it you know, shows the reality of, again, uh, animal industry and how cruel it is to these sentient beings. At the end of the movie, I started crying because it reminded me everything that I felt you know, four years back when I was vegan for a year. And then I cried and cried and I cried. And then I told my boyfriend, like, listen, I want to be, I need to be vegan. And in his case, it was, and so he was like, yeah, sure. We're going vegan immediately because he was already convinced. He was already like partially vegetarian and he's French, by the way. But he was, you know, and then we went vegan. And this time, the nice thing was because both of us are really good cooks. Uh, we're really good cooks by this time. We were cooking a lot and I was really into health and nutrition. So I was into like, you know, working out and like eating a balanced diet. So I knew that you need to have proteins, carbs, healthy fats and all of that. So I already knew the basics when it comes to nutrition and equipped with that, I turned vegan and 
this time, I mean, since then, I there's no reason to go back. My mom had nothing to say against it. She saw that I was eating really good food. Everything was fine. I, I went vegan and that is my vegan journey. So it, it started from being vegan, not being vegan, and then vegan and forever. <laughs> I'm quite interested in the spiritual background of people, uh, especially in places like India, which has often been described as the land of Ahimsa. And, you know, Ahimsa, for those that don't know, means uh, in, in the most simplest form, nonviolence. And in, in many parts of Indian culture, the idea of nonviolence, whether, you know, it's Hinduism or Buddhism or various other forms of sort of ancient religion that exists in India, the foundation of many of these practices and belief systems is the idea of compassion and nonviolence. And as someone who has practiced Buddhism for quite a few years, in my early days of practice, I consumed animals and I didn't think about it at all. Uh, and I then began to question it. And it's, it's an interesting and curious paradox because when you suddenly realize that, you know, the spirituality of your childhood or your life is one that speaks very strongly of compassion and nonviolence, but yet we involve ourselves in a brutal and violent system towards other sentient beings, there is this questioning or this often sometimes guilt as well that we are contributing to this. When you suddenly realize that you don't have to contribute to it, and that actually all the foods that you've been told you must consume or foods or animals that it's not necessary it's a it's an incredible realization for a lot of people one of my favorite films on this subject is called a prayer for compassion it's a beautiful exploration of spirituality and veganism and how the filmmaker and his young daughter who's only very little they go on this journey around the world and have conversation and dialogue with spiritual leaders and and really those that support veganism and those that don't but really challenge the idea that as deeply spiritual people who care about compassion, surely animals should be included in that circle of compassion. And that, you know, we, we have this species of society where, uh, and obviously also a racist society and a sexist society where we care about certain people and not others, and we care about certain animals and not others. And our view of compassion can be very narrow-minded. But I'm interested to learn a bit about your spiritual background or religious background and what effect did that have you as a young person, because obviously you were very compassionate as a child, and you know what kind of spiritual or religious background did you have that may have influenced how you became as a as a young person? That is uh, true, by the way, in India, that uh, a lot of people practice ahimsa, and um, so the the friend that I spoke about before is he follows a religion called Jainism, and so in Jainism you're not supposed to um, hurt anyone. So they even like the real true believers of Jainism, they wear even a mask so that they don't even, um, you know, hurt the bacteria or uh, in the air, you know. Although he is not that deep into Jainism, so he still consumes dairy, but he he's, so he's just vegetarian. In my case, I grew up Hindu. And in Hinduism, you know, it's considered the best to be vegetarian and not consume meat uh, and all of that. But that was not really, I mean, I didn't really grow up super religious and um, I'm not a super religious person even now. I don't, I don't believe in uh, that. But what I do, one of the things I do resent a lot about being compassionate towards animals through a religion, from what conversations I've had with my friends, is that they draw a line where, when it comes to like, so for example, if Hinduism says she should not consume beef, they will not consume beef, but at the same time, they will consume chicken or, or eggs, you know, they still consume dairy. So I feel like it's more about what the religion tells you rather than trying to use your brain as well, along with using what the religion tells you and then using your own experiences and your intelligence to understand that there's, apply that to how compassionate you are in your life, you know, that is where I stand when it comes to religionism and spirituality. Yeah, especially now, I think more and more people in India are eating meat. People have more money and it's a very common uh, trend that you see uh, when countries that become richer with time, when they have more money, their main consum consumption increases. It's sad to see that consumption of meat and, and industrialization of animal agriculture incre is increasing a lot in my country. That's where I hope that I'm able to inspire more people to eat less meat. Thank you for sharing that. In India, like, where are we at with regards plant-based diets? Because obviously, as you say, much of India is vegetarian already. And the religious and spiritual texts that people uh, ad adhere to come from, from and are, were written and created thousands of years ago, way before factory farming and the sort of industrialized ag animal agriculture that we see today. Is there a movement and an awareness that 
industrialized animal agriculture, for example, like factory farms, you know, because obviously dairy is huge in, in India. So there must be huge farms with cows and there are millions or hundreds of thousands, perhaps. Is there an awareness across the continent um, and a growing awareness of the effect of these industries? As veganism is becoming more and more popular in the world, it is also there is uh, an animal rights movement and veganism, a movement of towards uh, leading a more like plant based lifestyle happening in India as well. But it is still at a lot smaller scale than, than you know, compared to the UK or anything, because since I'm a, a content creator and I know get the comments from Indians, the most comments that I do get from people is that, you know, they're very pretty convinced about not eating meat, especially the vegetarians, I'm talking about the vegetarians, but they're just, they don't understand why you would stop eating dairy because for them, it's like, you know, the cow is giving us, you know, this milk and this, this paneer, the cheese and all of that. Why should we say no to that? You know, for them, it's like something the cow, God is giving them this and providing them when in reality, like we know that the cow wants to give it to their calf and to their baby and not to us. Uh, and that also that, you know, artificial insemination and that we're making impregnating, impregnating these cows like multiple times. They don't they don't understand that. And so there's a lot less. I think the majority of the people are not aware of the reality of uh, the dairy industry. It's very hard to also tell people who are very extremely religious uh, to tell them that what they believe in is wrong. I get a lot of backlash. Today we're making these layered and spiced parathas that usually go really well with your favorite curry. But today we're pairing them with Nigerian Akara to make a super fusion meal Cheers. that who knew would taste so good. Mm. Start by making the dough. Atta, salt, pani. Then we knead it well. Yeah, we got our ravens out. Yeah, yeah. Cover it with a damp cloth. And let it sit for half an hour. This helps the gluten structures to form. Once the dough looks like this, you pull out little pieces of it, shake them into a ball. Dust with flour and roll it out. Spread oil on one side. Now she's gonna add some flavor. What is this? Chana masala. Chana masala. No. Very wrong, it's chat masala. Chat masala. Fold it from the center and add more oil and chat masala and fold again. Roll it out into a rough triangle shape and get your pan ready. Add it to the pan. Cook it with some more oil, flipping it until you get golden brown spots on each side. And I, I'm not even one of those, you know, super activist, activist creator who says that, oh, you know, everyone should go vegan. I mostly just share recipes and my personal experiences. But still, like the comment section sometimes is like filled with, uh, especially on YouTube, because that's where I'm more popular in India, where like I get most comments from Indians. Most of the people, this is what I hear from, like they're, they think that eating meat, okay, we get you why you wouldn't eat meat, but we don't get why you don't eat dairy because there's not enough information out there. It's a tough one. There's, there's actually another, and I love my documentaries. It's the reason I'm vegan. There's a film called The Land of Ahimsa. Have you seen it? No, I have not, but I've heard about it. We are so cunningly manipulated and brainwashed into believing that animals are food. You see those chains? We tie them up and we take their milk. We steal it from them. They don't give it willingly. And if a cow is not giving milk, it's abandoned. You paid for that glass of milk with your money, but that mother cow paid for it with her dignity, her freedom, her children, her blood and her life. And they don't speak out. These are animals of predation, so they don't voice it because the tiger would get them if they heard them cry. Vegetarians presume to say that we are animal lovers. We live cruelty free. Their eyes, they roll back in agony of pain that we can do something about. If we say, we love the holy cow. Yeah, so it's made by an Indian filmmaker, Dolly. She's wonderful. And she went on this journey across India to try and convince people and talk to people about it. I talk about this a lot, you know, the, the connection between food, culture, religion, spirituality, they're all so deeply embedded and entwined in each other. And it's very hard to unravel all of these, these kind of views or opinions or um, cultural narratives. And I think, you know, for me, doing what you do is is the answer. We need to show people what's possible and we need to prove to people that the dishes that they love, that with grandma, grandpa and that special des dessert that their auntie makes, that it can still be as delicious and as important to them without the animal product. And I think, you know, people love food. They don't necessarily love the fact that it comes from a cow. Obviously, there's this romantic attachment in India. There's a romantic attachment to cows because obviously cows are seen as holy and as spiritual beings. But then 
there's a real sort of paradox there because when you go to India and many of my Indian friends who live there now talk to me about it who are vegan, who talk about how the cows are so neglected and they're on the streets eating plastic and they are abandoned and they're not revered and respected and cherished. They're not there in the lap of luxury. Cows are wandering around starving to death. There's also a paradox with regards like cows are not allowed to be killed in India, but then they are often taken across the border and killed in other parts of the you know the region and then you know the leather and everything that's taken from them is then taken back to india the water buffalo for example which are basically cows i mean cows water buffalo they're like they're the closest you, you can get to cousins and that you know the, the treatment of these creatures as well is there's a lot of contradictions yeah because india is one of the biggest uh, exporters of beef and and leathers so you know where where do these people think that these dairy cows are going after they are no longer useful you know to the dairy it's a tricky one, but you know, ultimately, as I said, the answer to bringing change is is to inspire people, and and we can do that by showing them what to eat and how to eat, and creating new traditions. Yes, of course, you know, we get attached to these cultural dishes that we have in our families and our communities, but you know, veganism is about saying, you know, we can create a new way of eating and living without harming others, and we can create pure alignment with our spiritual and religious beliefs if we are religious, because it, because as as a Buddhist, I now feel I'm in alignment with my belief system, whereas before my actions and my beliefs were not in alignment. I believed in ahimsa, I believed in compassion, I believed in nonviolence, but then I wasn't applying that to my animal friends that live on this planet with me. Obviously, where there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, as we like to say, that living in this world by very nature of being a human being, that everything that we do is causing harm in some way, but it's about trying to be as conscious and being aware. Um, I like what your the name of your platform, Be Extra Vegan, sounds a bit like Be Extra Vigilant or Be Extra, because it's about being aware, like vegan sounds to me like awareness, like, you know, to be Buddhist or Buddha, you know, it's like awareness, you know, and, and to me, veganism is an awareness. It's an awareness of animals. But let's dive into food, because this is what we're here to talk about. You know, you veganize many Indian recipes. When in doubt about what to do with your tofu, make this creamy and spicy tofu masala. This one's extra because it's a lentil tofu curry, which was surprisingly impressive. Because when I first made it, I was prepared to hate it, but I was pleasantly surprised. Lentil tofu has a firmer texture and isn't spongy like regular tofu. When coated in a creamy, spicy cashew tomato sauce, it is hearty and delicious. I don't know, you just have to try to really know what I mean. I can share the recipe for the lentil tofu next time if you want, but today it's this tofu masala recipe. Also, I'm here to show you that your blend jet isn't just made for smoothies or shakes. You can very much make hearty, savory foods with it and don't worry about cleaning it. I'd love to hear about some of the types of foods that you grew up eating and then how have you veganized them and like some of, what are some of the sort of special favorites for you? Honestly, like sometimes I, I do wonder why, I mean, I wish that I could reach more people because vegetarian food in India is already so vegan friendly. I think I have the least problems like veganizing dishes uh, unless at desserts, which are very heavily dairy based. But some of my favorite like comfort foods is, well, I mean, it's so hard to choose. I love, I love food. I love everything. But at the end of the day, like comfort food for me is this thing called sambar. I don't know if you've heard sambar. Sambar is a, yeah, a spice. <laughs> okay, perfect. So it's a lentil vegetable stew of sorts. And uh, you have that. So it's like a bit watery and you have vegetables, you have lentils and spices in it. That with like dosa or idli. So dosa is a crepe made with um, a fermented lentil and uh, rice batter. So when you either you make a crepe with it or you steam it into like these tiny cakes. So this for me is my comfort food or at the end of the day, like really simple dal and rice. So a nice dal tarka with rice. These are my comfort foods that I would go turn to when I have, when I don't want anything else. I don't want to deal with the world. <laughs> and so so what are some of the, the challenges with regards to veganizing Indian food specifically? I imagine it's things, is it things like paneer and ghee and like any of these kind of like added main ingredients that are often used? What are some of the alternatives? I come from the south of India. So there's really interesting indian food is so different in different parts of the country and so from where i belong to the food is vegetarian food is all almost naturally vegan because because we don't use cream or paneer in the south of india uh, at least i belong to kerala and in kerala it's very coconut coconut based so everything is based on coconut uh, and so you don't really have ghee maybe sometimes like in desserts to add like the you know the final you fry some nuts and and dry fruit in ghee and then you add that to the dessert so maybe that's where ghee comes in if i'm veganizing food from my part of 
the country, I don't have many challenges. But when I want to veganize food also that I like, which is North Indian food, um, you know, there's paneer and then there's cream, there's ghee, there's a lot of all of that. But ghee is very easily replaceable with oil. And nowadays you have like ghee alternatives, which is crazy. And they taste almost like ghee. I don't use that a lot because then again, it's slightly bit more uh, expensive. And paneer, tofu, tofu is the key. And the way I use tofu where I have to use paneer is I chop them into cubes and I boil them in salted water. So they have that like saltiness to it. And the texture is more similar to paneer than, you know, if you would use just tofu like that. And cream, you know, you have so many alternatives these days, soy cream, coconut cream, almond cream. So I would say that veganizing Indian food is really easy. Uh, but when it comes to desserts, you have to find alternatives. So there's this thing that's very commonly used in India for, to make desserts it's called koya. It's milk solids. Basically, you cook milk until it becomes like really solid. So it's like a lot of really fatty and really heavy. And they use that to make like gulab jamun. It's like these, you know, fried donut balls soaked in syrup. Sounds yeah, delicious. <laughs> It's really good. <laughs> I could live on donuts, honestly. Like, I mean, I can't really eat them because uh, I shouldn't eat wheat. It causes me terrible indigestion and bloating and chronic pain. But uh, I could honestly live on like donuts and and sweet type things. Um, I have a, t- a terrible sweet tooth. You've been to Paris. I mean, I'm sure you've been to Paris. Um, when you go to Paris, definitely go to Donut Shaker. Donut Shaker is all vegan they don't advertise it as all vegan so it's really interesting you, you wouldn't tell you couldn't be you couldn't tell that it's vegan from when you look from the outside but it's all vegan amazing like the best donuts i've had in my life i'll definitely check it out next time i come are you an open sandwich or a closed sandwich type of person this is episode five of my spicing up series and today i'm spicing up the humble egg salad sandwich this simple dish is the ultimate american culinary comfort taking you back to picnics school lunches and all those heartwarming or heart-wrenching moments are you excited i'm using silken tofu to replicate the exact texture of velvety eggs and of course some kalanamak to make it taste eggy the star of this recipe is a spicy garlic tempering that i poured into the vegan egg mixture and trust me bees it tasted exquisite. Are you getting annoyed by my egg puns? Then here's one more. You need to expand your egg salad sandwich horizons. Tell me about like at Be Extra Vegan. Tell me about your platform. What, Where is it at the moment? I, I was just uh, looking again at your YouTube channel. I noticed you haven't posted videos for a good few months. Where are you at at the moment with your platform? And like, well, what, what takes up your, your day to day? And what kind of things do you, do you get involved in? Because it's obviously, you know, very popular and you create a lot, a lot of amazing content. But where where are you at today with it? Uh, thank you. Um, so on YouTube, I have stopped posting long format content. But if you check the shorts pl- side, it's like the short. I'm still up to date. I keep posting shorts on it. So my YouTube channel is pretty consistently. I get about like a million views per short video that I post, uh, which is crazy. And so the YouTube channel is working really well on Instagram. I think I have a more international audience. So people. That's where I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I think my Instagram is more popular, you know also outside of India and then on TikTok because in TikTok is banned in India so I have uh, about 200,000 followers on TikTok as well and there mostly everyone is from the US or the UK English-speaking countries Australia Canada uh, you know also a lot of Germans so a lot of German people also follow me on Instagram as well on a day-to-day so now I'm a full-time content creator but I used I started my uh, content creation journey while I was doing my PhD in France uh, and back then it was like crazy hectic so I also do some freelance work because it's very hard as a creator, a brown creator living in Europe to sustain the business just off of social media because I don't get as many brand deals. So I also make videos for another blogger for their social media. And then I create videos for my my channel. And then I'm almost always like editing, either editing, filming, buying groceries or um, writing ideas. And then... Uh, writing recipes for the blog because I have a blog as well I have a website where I post recipes and uh, clicking pictures and then drawing inspiration a lot of times I'm trying to see how I can combine the foods that I grew up with with the foods that I was introduced to when I came to Europe and how I can create fusions so one of the things I like I made which I really love is you know I turned the English baked beans and I made it like a chart style and I made it like tangy with, with, I added some spices to it because I just felt when I first tried baked beans, I felt it was too sweet for my taste and it was bland. I like, I, I, I prefer with more spices. 
and I spiced it up and I added some like, you know, uh, crunchy papri on top. It's like these crunchy little things that you can like chips, crisps, and then spice yogurt. Yeah. So I always try to make fusion recipes and also like try use local produce that I've never seen in India and use that in my daily cooking and how I can tell people how to use it in an Indian way or any other way. So looking through some of your reels on YouTube, I mean, as you said, there's consistently million, three million, one million, one million, two million. You even did a video, uh, took it like an ad for fighting dementia, which obviously was with a charity or nonprofit. And it got 6.7 million views. Is that all organic? No ads? No ads, no ads. It's absolutely incredible. Like what, what is, uh, I mean, people always ask me because we also get great results in our videos, but what's the secret? Like what makes a great viral video what is it that that's helping you get your message about food uh and cooking and and lifestyle how, how are you able to get people's attention and keep people's attention because obviously it's very interesting that you've gone from like you know quite popular content in long form on youtube to exceptionally popular content in short form is it just that people's attention spans are super short nowadays and no one's got time to watch longer content like what do you think it is and what do you think that you're doing that is just helping keep that attention i was majorly a short format content creator and i was always just posting shorts reels and tiktok and i saw um, a good amount of traction on instagram and tiktok and on youtube it was last year when i finished my phd when i started to see traction because of my shorts and i went like viral overnight in in like a span of a month from like a thousand followers i went up to 250,000, and then it's been increasing like consistently and that's when i started to post long format content on my social on my youtube but what I saw was that uh, even though I, I did get like a good amount of views, you know, like 50,000, 60,000 views on my long format content, the, the people who came to my YouTube channel who started subscribing to me were only interested in my shorts, short format videos, and they didn't translate to long format content completely. I do enjoy making long format content, but it is a full-time job. It's a whole other job. You know, when you're a shorts creator or when you're a short format content creator, you know, that's already taking up all your time. And then this, and then I also had my freelance work. I couldn't sustain doing the two. I want to go back to long format content. Hopefully if I'm able to have a bigger team um, uh, taking care of certain aspects of it, then I would definitely love to go back to long format content. But yeah, like you said, I think the people who are watching short format content, they have either a very low attention span <laughs> and i think people who watch long format content religiously i think they don't enjoy short format content so there's like this huge two um, you know difference between these two type of uh, viewers but coming back to the type of content that i make i feel so from what purely from what i've heard from other my followers telling me is that they feel that my content is different from regular food content creators that they would say that they're used to you know usually people would either just show the recipe they probably wouldn't show their face or they wouldn't add a voiceover they wouldn't talk about the food the filming style or they would add music over it so they're not able to connect they were not able to connect with these creators whereas i put myself in the video like i'm there uh, and i'm talking about things i also express opinions uh, which, you know, definitely it opens me up to a lot of backlash sometimes, people who don't agree with what I have to say, but the same time, there's a lot of people who relate to me and they stick with me and become like, you know, really... Relatable is a good, is is, is a key word. And, and, and it, relatable and attainable because it's, it's so common to see content on social media that is so polished and airbrushed and stylized and looks like something from a high-end cookbook. You know, it's nice to look at, but most people look at that and go, I could never do that. I could never cook like that. I could never learn this. And to me, the secret to great content on social media is for it to feel relatable, for it to be something that you, I, I was just watching your the video for Dementia. I, had, I actually had seen it because I was remembering the mushrooms and we'll, uh, I'll link it in the comments because it's actually such a great video because it's one of those things. It's also one of the secrets of great content as well is curiosity and novelty when people see something that they haven't seen before like you make you get potato and you roll them up and you get a, a bottle and you turn them into what look like little mushrooms but they're made of potatoes um, and that's quite a, a novel and interesting concept and i think again like you know novelty curiosity relatability and then also originality as well humans are very good at copying each other and and especially when the vegan uh, any food influencer spaces on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, there's a lot of trending where everyone copies everyone else. Just on that subject, like how do you remain relevant and 
original in a world where there just seems to be so much imitation? That's a very good question because it's it's so common um, that I see on social media. Like, and as soon as a trend pops up, everyone just jumps onto the back wagon and bandwagon, and everyone's like making the same recipe. And when you go to Instagram, you see everyone creating the same recipe. I'm, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, like I'm not saying that it's wrong. I personally like have always like steered away from that. I personally like feel very weird or like I kind of feel bored like creating the same kind of content that everyone else is putting out there so like some people for example they create content that um regularly is a similar style where they're saying you know they have a tagline or or they do one action which is like very common they do in every video and that sort of helps the people to recognize I've I've noticed I've noticed that. Let's just like dive into that for a sec. Like another thing that that viral content seems to have a lot of is repetition. What Anjali's talking about there is is a, is a physical action that people do in a video repetitively in every single video. And watch out for it next time you uh, you watch your favorite content creator. And you probably have seen it, but didn't even realize. And one of my favorite content creators, she does this very simple thing. Is she? Her name is Jen, and she like makes uh, some food, and then she like presents the food, and then she sort of turns around and like walks back into the kitchen in this really kind of like sassy way which I love it's it's very cute and some people have ones like that what Jen does which I find funny and amusing and then other people do things that are just very strange and you're like you keep doing this but then you know their video their videos are are, are totally viral but I don't know whether it's because of the repetition but it's a curious thing isn't it (laughs) Yeah, it is. That's really interesting. I see that. I really love what Jen does. Uh, And like you said, some people like sort of just walk away from the camera or like they send something like, all right, you know, they have this thing. It becomes their tagline or or people sort of recognize their content with that. So it just helps people sort of feel like a community. You know, it feels like, oh, okay. It is a bit of a brand mark, isn't it? You're talking about Julius there. Julius goes, all right. (laughs) All right, Julius, yes. Yeah, yeah. Julius is, you you have to check out Julius. He's um, a German uh, vegan and plant-based creator as well. If you love street food, you've got to try this Indian classic. This is Vada Pao, a soft bread roll packed with three different chutneys, a potato fritter and crispy chura. Today, we're making one of the kings of street food from Mumbai, Vada Pao. So often flavor works in layers, and this one has got it all because it's served with a tangy and sweet, a garlicky and spicy, and a really fresh and herbal chutney. And those chutneys, they complement this soft vada, this potato fritter that sits in the middle of the bun and is topped with some crispy chura. It's an absolute mad one. At the end of the day, like, you know, vegan food can also like be seen as overly complicated and showy and sometimes a little pretentious, right? And people think this is too much for me. Like I'm a, have a busy life. I don't have time to come home and make something which has 29 ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's what, rewind. So you did a, um, a PhD in nanophotonics, which nano-photonics. sounds very Star Trek. Like tell me about nanophotonics. What's that? Photonics is uh, basically just the use of light and how to so there's you know the whole uh, spectrum of light and what we see is visible light and you know there's uv light there's infrared so there's x-rays there's different kinds of lights that uh, are also not visible to our eyes so basically using that for our benefits so basically i was working in the development of uv lamps so trying to manipulate uh, trying to get material that emits uv light and using that basically for disinfection of um, medical equipment so you can use uv light for disinfection uh, i don't know so during the pandemic there was a lot of uh, you know these mini uv lights that you could buy to disinfect the surface of your you know so that's what uv light is so uh, or also the sun rays also has uv light which we are very scared of so basically this is this was part of my work to to fabricate uh, material uh, and the reason it was nano was because I was working in the nano scale, so 10 to the power minus 9, so things that you absolutely cannot see with naked eyes or my, a microscope. You need really specific uh, machine and machines and uh, equipment to see these tiny, tiny, um, they, we call them quantum dots, so tiny quantum dots on the surface of material with, with material that can emit UV light. I love it. I mean, I, I grew up on sci-fi and technology. I'm a massive like, sci- sci-fi geek. I loved physics at school. And I'm often debunking my friends when they're sharing posts on social media going, 5G is going to kill us all. And that it's, you know, that the, the, the microwaves that are coming out of yeah. my, oh, don't use a microwave because don't it's going to cause cancer. And I mean, obviously, we're, we're here to talk about food and stuff. But 
as someone who's obviously a scientist and someone who has studied physics, it's such a fascinating world, but it is something that is often hidden. We go around our days using all this technology and most people don't have a clue how any of it works. That is so true. And, and going around also like now that I'm a content creator and then I, I, I'm exposed to so many opinions, there's so many comments that I get where they are so off from science and that it really like baffles me like also like i think people who understand science and like you being interested in science uh, i think we can see that a lot of people spew so much nonsense and then you hear that and you're just like why why like i wish i could tell you that what you're saying is wrong but it's yeah. so hard yeah and being a content creator and living and act and uh, working on social media you know you mentioned there like comments from people and misinformation and disinformation is a real problem on the internet you know i'm on a journey to to fight misinformation and disinformation and i uh, will continue that in the years to come but it is a real issue you know in our spaces where we work you know in plant-based food there is a lot of misinformation that's spread not just from people who eat animal products who say things like you know we need animal protein that animal protein is is a is a more efficient form of protein that you can't get a complete source of protein from eating plants uh, that you have to have milk for calcium, that you will become anemic, that after seven years of being vegan, your health will degrade. There must be a lot of that. I mean, how much do you get on your on your platform? You've obviously got a very big platform. You must get a lot of people from the other side of the conversation who are challenging the way you are, what you are sharing and, and, and teaching people. Yeah, um, I get a lot. Um, so many times I get comments like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're vegan now, but once you have a baby, what are you going to feed that baby? Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure that your baby will not be healthy if you have, I'm mean, like, I don't even, I, so that makes me wonder like how much backlash, like vegan creators who have kids uh, and they are growing up their kids uh, on a vegan diet, like how much backlash they must be getting. But yeah, so there's that. And there's a lot of people who say things like, oh, you know, soy consumption is bad for you. If men consume soy, you know, they'll start to have boobs. I'm like, wow, <laughs> yeah. that's just... I mean, people have such less knowledge about uh, these things. And the, the sad part is there's so much misinformation right now on the internet. People also saying, like spreading misinformation about veganism. And then these people go and listen to that. And without any like personal research, they don't go on the internet. They don't try to do their own research to understand what they said. Without that, they just believe whatever they hear. And then they go out. Like I get a lot of comments from uh, people who say, who heard things from, you know, Joe Rogan, Pierce Morgan, you know, they all say a lot of things against veganism. And then they hear that they come to my comment section and they say things like vegans are killing more animals than meat eaters. You know, meat eater is killing just one animal, but vegans are killing all these animals on the farm. And Which is completely untrue because if you really cared about <laughs> animals, uh, you wouldn't be eating them because yeah. most of the land that we use on earth today, seven, over 70% of agricultural land goes to farming animals and and uh, the, the plants that we grow to feed those animals take up much larger amounts of land. I think a vegan uh, is, is 18 times less land for our food to be grown. So when you think about that, if, if, if more people went vegan, we would need a lot less land if we were feeding humans directly. It's the same old stuff over and over again. We've actually got a series on YouTube, um, which we've started called What Happens When? What Happens When is a series where plant-based news takes a deep dive into the topics that concern our health and well-being, and hear from experts who debunk some of the most common myths. It's destroying our planet. It causes cancer. It makes men more feminine. It causes hyperthyroidism. It's the leading cause of deforestation. It blocks nutrient absorption. Soy is the worst thing on earth. With inconclusive evidence regarding these clickbait statements, how did soy get such a bad rep? The first episode is what happens when you eat soy. Uh, and I really recommend going and checking it out because there's so much misinformation about soy. It is just, as you say, you know, people are constantly worried about it containing estrogen or it's made of plastic or fighting this stuff requires an, an awareness and an education. So when people share false information about food or nutrition, we can say, thank you for your comment. However, this is completely incorrect and here is why. And then that's it. That's all you can do. The soybean is one of the most versatile food sources. Edamame, soy milk, tofu, sprouts, miso, tempeh, soy sauce. Foods made of soy in both unfermented and fermented form have been the bedrock of Asian cuisine for millennia. Unfermented soy products such as tofu and soy milk are prevalent in countries like China, Singapore and Hong Kong. 
while in Japan, about half of soy intake comes from the fermented foods natto and miso. But since its rise in popularity in Western cuisine over the past 60 years, soy and its effects on the body have become the object of many studies, myths and debates. With so much crazy information about soy out there, let's break down some of the myths of what actually happens when you eat soy. The health effects of soy-based foods have been heavily studied for over 30 years, but one consistent myth remains that soy products contain high levels of estrogen. Soybeans have no negative effects on fertility, according to the best available evidence. A meta-analysis from 2020 looking at 41 clinical interventions showed that soybeans had no effect on testosterone, oestrogen or sex hormone binding globulin. Some say don't engage with people, but at the end of the day, when you engage in some of the commentary, you're going to see hundreds and hundreds of, th or even thousands of people, and in your case, maybe even millions of people, seeing those answers and learning from them. They might not engage, but they've seen you responding in a calm, rational and intelligent way, scientific as well, probably, where you can, because there's only so much you can do. <laughs> the work that you do connects you to millions of people. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by that? And how do you cope with the demand of this? Because it does sometimes feel like a treadmill. The, the social networks are like babies having to constantly be fed and they're never satisfied. They want more and more and more and more content. How do you keep it together without like losing your marbles? <laughs> <laughs> it is true, especially when social media gurus to say that you need to post every day for growth and everything like that. I don't listen to any of that. Uh, from the beginning, I have been posting one or maximum two videos a week not more than that and i have kept that a constant like i make sure that i don't post more than that also i need to keep up the quality of my content if i need to keep up the quality of the content i cannot i cannot post more than more than two videos a week it's just not possible for me because it takes me so many hours to film one recipe like people think i'm just filming my lunch and posting it but no uh, i take a whole day to film one recipe because i need to change the angles there's like so much time when it comes to like the angles lighting all of that and then the editing and then uh, captions everything and then also like i have so many con uh, of my followers who keep texting and commenting or like dming me saying like oh you know we're waiting for your next video or like can you please post more often and uh i try not to listen to that i mean because i mean they're just coming from a good place right like they want to just see more of my content which is so nice i'm flattered but if i listen to that i will feel overwhelmed and then i would a lot of pressure on myself and then I've, I, I've easily been burnt out like especially during the time when I was doing my PhD and con creating content I was constantly burnt out towards the end I was a zombie I, I made a promise to myself that I would never want to go back to that you know sort of lifestyle I don't want to do that I will go at my own pace and I'm content with that and I, at any time I feel like I'm feeling like a burnout uh, I take a break I take a break for like a couple of weeks I go completely off grid and that really helps with mental health really because when you're constantly posting and being exposed to so many people's opinions and dms and replying to comments which is you know a lot of them are positive as well but even those sometimes overwhelm you because you feel like shit i owe these people something I owe them videos my presence i owe them my presence and that can be a lot so it's all really important to take breaks Definitely. And and a lot of networks and platforms now are built have built in protective mechanisms that many people don't know about this. Let's take Instagram, for example, there's something called limits. Um, and if you haven't used it yet, uh, please keep check it out. If you are ever like um, the victim of an attack by a, a large group of people, say a piece of your content might go viral, and then there might be an onslaught of people coming at you in the comments or the uh, DMs, you can go into comment into limits in search for it in your settings, and you can enable it. And what that does is it doesn't allow people who don't follow you or people who've just followed you the option to send you messages or comment so you can lock down your profile basically uh we recently had a video uh, about shrimp in the ocean um going viral i think it's had like four million views or something like that and we've received thousands and thousands and thousands of comments from people going oh but steak oh but bacon or you know sending me pictures of animals with severed heads or bloody and violent images of you know people killing animals you know for a few days it was funny i was like this is funny you know i'm just laughing at these people because they're just a bunch of trolls but then after the fourth day i was like right enough now i've this has got to stop so i put down the drawbridge <laughs> in my yeah. in, in our pbn castle and i said enough now this is we're going to stop this thankfully a lot of the network platforms social platforms are building these protective mechanisms into content creators now because 
we do need to protect ourselves from people sometimes. We do need to protect our mental health. We don't owe people anything. We're doing this work uh, as a public service. Most of us do this and we don't get paid for it. PBN only exists because we have to do brand deals and and, op- and, and content for uh, commercial companies, but the audience does not support us. We don't get a penny really we get that's a lie we get a small amount of money maybe you know four five hundred euros a month from our entire audience we've got three and a half million followers you know we provide a free service but our audience gets everything for free and then people come and they complain or they moan about what we do i often just say i'm sorry that you don't enjoy our free service however (laughs) If you want to keep it going, continue to consider donating and supporting us. It's tough work doing this. You know, working on social networks is not easy. And I think people think it's this glamorous job and it's so easy just to kind of make content. But it is it is a real grind sometimes. And hats off to you, as they say, for, for doing what you're doing and, and to keep going. Thank you. That's up to you too. You know, I, I love your originality and your your vulnerability and your sincerity. Um, and that I think to me that is why you have built such a huge following and people love what you do because it is about that going back to what I said before, being relatable, being someone who people can connect with and feel that they could do that. They can they can make and create and cook and 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 uh, and engineer food in ways that is accessible and attainable. Because obviously, as you say, as we said before, we live in a world where there's a lot of showiness and there's a lot of there's a lot of people trying to c- pretend to be something that they're not especially on social media and i think ultimately if we want people to eat plant based and we want people to adopt this lifestyle we have to help people in ways that they they believe they can continue as well because there's no point in just you know people buying a cookbook and going oh that looks really nice on my shelf and then never ever using it right Tell me more about like where you are today with your platform. What are what are some of your plans for it? Are you going to grow your team? Are you going to hire people and build your empire? What's uh, what are your plans? Thank you, by the way, um, for appreciating my content and everything. That just which always feels nice to hear nice words about the work. I create courses online, and so cooking courses. So basically, I have an advanced speaking course and like a beginner's vegan Indian cooking course where I teach people how to make Indian food. And I talk about spices and the science behind spices and everything. So as a part of that, I'm creating a mini course very soon. It's uh, based on fermentation and how to use fermentation and make fermented foods, which is also I really love it because it's like a science project for me because uh, there's a lot, a lot of uh, chemistry and biology involved in it. There's going to be a mini fermentation course that I would probably release towards the end of November and I will have the next cohort launch of my courses as well so yeah that's definitely coming in the future apart from that I want to slowly make a move to London and that's because I just see so many opportunities and I have so many friends there's so many vegan creators in London <laughs> yes like you guys and there's so many other vegan creators in London it's just you know where I as I live in France it's a city called Grenoble and it's there's no content creator here. Maybe they are like mountaineers or something like that if they are content creators, but no vegan content creators. There's definitely no community here. And so I sometimes feel very isolated and alone. But when I, whenever I visit London, I'm visiting next week as well. It's always like an opportunity for me to meet other creators and feel like I, I'm not alone here. You know, there's other people who do the same job that I do. Uh, so that's definitely something I want to do in the future. And also, I haven't said this anywhere else is that i finally have a literary agent now and we're working on cookbook proposal hopefully in two or three years i might have a cookbook so that's something to look forward to too like it has been my dream to have a cookbook and a very sciencey cookbook that too yeah that's wonderful well the intersection between food and technology is much more complex than people realize when we buy our food from the supermarket or the local market or wherever we purchase our food there is a lot of science that goes into the production of food in in agriculture but what are some of the futuristic food concepts and innovations that you've seen anything that you're excited about at the moment uh, is there anything in the world of vegan cuisine and food that you're excited about is it is it salag or precision fermentation like what are some of the things that that you are interested in in that space Oh, the thing that I'm currently really interested in is lab-grown meat and lab-grown dairy. Uh, I am definitely for it. It's very expensive currently, still in the lab phase, and it is made with cell regeneration. So they take a piece of meat and then that's it. They regenerate the cells in the lab and then it's just, you know, like a real uh, meat. And if we are able to, you know, make that cheaper, the process cheaper, I think that is that is something that would solve a lot of issues around the world. And really if if the cost of the meat for example we don't we wouldn't need to subsidize 
meat industry or like the dairy industry anymore. And then I think that would really help. That is something I'm really, really looking forward to. I think some companies have already started to sell some of these lab-grown meat, but it's still like at a very like basic, like very few or like that may be like super expensive. I have no idea how it is in the UK. Like definitely here is like super expensive and not so accessible at all. There's a few companies in the US, there's Perfect Day, they're really doing ice cream and yogurts and yeah. And so the, the interesting thing about that, and, and you use the term uh, lab-grown meat, is the language around these foods. If I may, the, the, the process is actually closer to brewery than a lab. Um, actually, you know, the idea of the, the, the phrase lab-grown meat was actually popularized by the media. These types of foods are more in a, in a vat, in a brewery, when like how we make beer. And one of the challenges with these types of foods is convincing the consumer that it is safe, that it is tasty and the same as the foods that they love. So for example, how do we convince Indians that precision fermentation, which is the, the way in which we can make milk, cheese, yogurt, paneer, etc., from microbes, um, we can actually program the microbes to produce the proteins needed to make these substances, and they will be on a molecular level the same. But when a person asks, where does this come from? And you say, it's made by human beings in a factory, people go, oh, that sounds oh, disgusting. Yeah. But, sounds <laughs> but when I say to people, if you saw how cows are treated, and you saw that the, the horrors that they went through to produce the milk, to make your cheese, to make your paneer, etc. And you saw the bacteria and the, the viruses and the antibiotics and the hormones. Those foods are produced in a sterile environment by human beings. So would you not rather choose that type of food that is clean, safe, environmentally friendly, and also the antithesis of cruelty? So I think when we try and sort of break it down to people, and I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us because there's all these millions and millions and millions of dollars and, and pounds being put into these technologies, but there's not enough work being done in helping reframe people's awareness of these technologies and foods because the media has been very good at painting this picture of that this is a Frankensteinian food. And obviously, as, as someone who's a scientist, but also someone who's a communicator, like how do you, what do you think about that? What do you think about the work that needs to be done to make these foods appealing to the public i think it's just it's more about education and talking about it the more we talk about it the more we show people that this is just normal it's not um you know some chemicals put together and what is chemicals i mean we are all yeah it's all chemicals you know whatever we eat is all chemistry just talking about it, i think one of the things like i i spoke about in this podcast i spoke a lot about backlash but i also want to just talk about how much like i feel that I have influenced people and, and inspired people to reduce their meat consumption. And people who were, you know, really, who were eating a lot of meat every day, they, they texted me and they told me that, you know, I reduce my meat consumption because you, because of uh, your content. So I feel like uh, people like us uh, have a lot of power. And the more we speak about it, the more we speak about using certain products and that it's okay to eat soy and that it's okay to eat lab-grown meat even though you know the media is painting a certain picture um, but that's not the reality and then just showing them that's the way we can make the change just being there putting yourself out there and like I, I don't even you know have a very aggressive you know pushing of veganism when it comes to my content like I just go out there and like create my content. So a lot of people tell me that uh, just that has helped me, just the fact that you're so normal with it and the fact that you don't make us feel like unsafe uh, being in your community. We just like that. And then a lot of people uh, are making changes in their lives and which is really, really, really rewarding as well. And you feel like this is why I started this. Like this is the reason I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. People don't want to be talked down to, do they? They don't want to be patronized mm -hmm. yeah. or, you know, spoken to in a condescending way. Yeah, we are. We're, we're fighting culture. We're fighting misinformation, but at the same time, you know, we can help people understand that these foods and these technologies could be uh, a saving grace for humanity and obviously our entire planet. Because let's be clear, and if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times: animal agriculture is the leading driver of environmental collapse on our planet. River acidification, ocean, ocean dead zones, deforestation, species loss, habitat loss, you know, you name it. And also, obviously, that's not just the animals and the environment, people as well, where these giant farms are being created, it affects the people that live in those areas, often people who are, are not in the middle class, upper echelons of society. It's the, it's the working class, lower class people that are affected, and, and not just their health, their mental health are affected. So, you know, humans are also victims of the animal agriculture industry. And if we can end these industries and we can 
move our entire planet to a cell-based food system and a plant-based food system and a mix of those two things, uh, we do have a hope to bring change, but we are running out of time. And, you know, we're not just running out of time there, we're running out of time in this podcast. I'd like to ask a few fun questions before I let you go. If you could host a dream vegan dinner party with three influential figures, whether they are alive or historical, in quotes, dead, who would they be? And what vegan dishes would you prepare to impress them with? That's such a fun question. <laughs> I really have to think, you know, if I like the vegan inside me is going like, oh, you know, I would love to go to COP28, which is happening in November in Dubai and like, and, and be like, okay, I don't know, you all look like influential people. Like, can we just please talk about animal agriculture and, and, you know, uh, how that is affecting the planet rather than, you know, beating around the bush and talking about other things. But if I had to choose three influential people, I really want to, if I am selfish, I really want to meet Michelle Obama. I think she's so inspiring. Uh, and she also has worked a lot towards trying to make people eat more healthy in the US and everything. And she's, she made a lot of, she did a lot of work towards that. And I feel like, okay, one influential person from India, I would have to choose Shah Rukh Khan. He's a, the most, the biggest uh, Bollywood star in India. I think he's very, very popular and he's very influential. And also another industry, which I think is a very influential is the K-pop industry. So uh, I would choose RM from BTS. BTS, Shah Rukh Khan, put them in a room, and then I think I would make mm, what, a vegan biryani. Oh, I love my vegan biryani recipe. It's on my website. I would make vegan biryani. I would make tofu masala. I would make some naan, some dal tadka. Maybe it's like some nice pizza with cashew cheese and maybe a chocolate cake. I really like this recipe from Nora Cooks. Uh, she's a very big blogger as well in the US. And yeah, I would make all of this and be like, listen, guys, you guys are very influential. Eat this food. Tell me what you think. And I think you guys need to start talking about, you know, reducing meat consumption. I think these guys will have more of an influence on people than all of us combined. My last final question, which I always love to ask at the end, which is if you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, you're obviously not going to eat the pig because you're a vegan. But if I could give you uh, one vegan dish to take with you, one book. And one music artist, who would you take with you and what would you take with you? So one vegan dish. Dish will have to be uh, dosa and sambar. Like it's okay. These are two different dishes, but they come together for me. Dosa and sambar. Uh, I can live on that for the rest of my life. Book. Recently, I read this book uh, called Homecoming by Yagya Si. Um, it's a book about the enslavement of black people. And it's like, um, it's fiction. It's a, it's a historical fiction. And it's like generational and how it affected the black community and everything uh, in Africa as well as in the, in the US. So it's a really, really interesting book. Oh my God, that book is so beautifully written. Um, definitely, I will take that book with me and I can go on and read about the, each of the characters in the book again and again. And an artist, hmm, that's an interesting one. Uh, I love my Bollywood songs. So ooh, I, will take, I will take A.R. Rahman. A.R. Rahman is a very, very famous uh, music producer and director in India and he's made some of the best music in India. I think people must have heard of heard is uh, the one from Slumdog Millionaire.
जाना जा जिंदे शामी आने के तले won an Oscar for that but he's made even better music than that so definitely I can listen to his music for the rest of my life amazing Ms. Anjali Hari Kumar thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast what a pleasure to sit down and hear a little of your story it was amazing speaking with you as well thank you so much for having me here you've been listening to the plant-based news podcast with me Robbie Lockie our team also includes Phil Marriott Daryl Savchuk Polly Foreman Triska Taylor Hope you enjoyed that episode. We'll be back next time with more food, fashion, veganism, animals, and everything in between.